0: just like to say a big thank you to the assembly for the for giving me the opportunity to open the eyes of many of the lord's people to what he is doing in the vast land of angola that's been tremendous i haven't spoken to everybody perhaps i've spoken to about 12 people really in conversation but it's been interesting to notice that so few have heard of what the lord has been doing over the years in angola so thank you for the opportunity And it would be wonderful if there was one or two who went from this place this weekend and would become fellow labourers with us in the work of the Lord in Angola, in prayer that is so vital. Open your Bibles, please, to Nehemiah in chapter 4. And we're going to turn to the scriptures in a little while. But I thought it would be, it may be helpful to, um, especially our younger brothers and sisters, if I had this opportunity to give a brief an account of how the Lord called us to the work in Angola. And in a congregation like this, it is very hard to know. The Lord knows what's going on in the hearts of His people individually. And I haven't got time to really go into much depth, but I was saved when I was 18 years of age from a non-Christian home. And uh, the Lord brought Debbie into my life. Um, She was 16 when I first met her, and uh, we were married uh, when she was 18, and I was 22. We tried to get married a bit earlier than that, but the father-in-law said, do as I say. I found out later it was do as I say, not do as I did. (laughs) So um, we settled for that, and she was 18. And uh, she came from a Christian home, which was so different to mine. She had a peaceful home. It wasn't marked by the rows and the violence that so often accompanied my life at home. And as I said earlier, she came from a place called Hellions Bumstead, which sounds a bit of a joke, but there is such a place. And uh, we settled down there. The Lord gave me employment on a farm. And uh, I was working away there, and we were happily married and putting our back into the local assembly at Hellions Bumstead. At that stage in our lives, 1988, we never had any thought whatsoever of serving the Lord, like a missionary. No thought of that at all. But we started a children's work with a local brother in the assembly. We started a children's work in a in nearby town. And we enjoyed good times in serving the Lord in that very simple, exciting way, working with children. But more and more the Lord impressed upon our lives our desire to give ourselves to him To be what he wanted us to be, to be where he wanted us to be. And it seemed in our lives as if it was all building up to a crescendo and a climax. To pursue life around work and the opportunities that work gave me. I could have moved away and we could have gone to a bigger farm and we could have done better things. And it would have been just so easy to drift into the normal run of things, To have a family, to be at the meetings. But we had a real burden on our hearts before we made any decisions as to where we should go next in relation to work. What should we be doing for Him? I don't know if you've read the words of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 recently, but they were words which dramatically changed the course of our lives. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. A living sacrifice. That's what we wanted, to know what is his will for us. Our lives on the altar of Romans 12 and verse 1. And to know what he wanted us to do with our lives. Well, what happened was over a series of months and Occasions, really. really. The Lord most definitely spoke to us as a couple. It all started really in February of 1990. A brother, Bill Craig, now with the Lord, spoke at Helians Bumstead on Matthew chapter 28, Go ye into all the world. And little by little, as we attended meetings, conferences like this, We went away from those places knowing and absolutely convinced that there was no one else in that meeting God spoke to but us. It was so real. And we made a little list of the meetings that we attended, our regular meetings in the assembly at Hellions Bumstead, monthly ministry meetings in the assemblies in the area, conferences that we attended. We got a little list in our Bible back there. Uh, of all those brethren and the dates and the passages they spoke on when we were firmly convinced that God had a message for us on that evening, on that occasion. I do trust we've come to these meetings with that attitude. Waiting, expecting God to speak to us. Because he does. And our conviction was growing that the Lord had something in mind for us. And we didn't know what it was. So we confided in a brother, who we trusted, we and uh, had confidence in, and he said, he said to us, he said, just go away, keep praying, and study the word, and at the right time, the Lord will show you. And so we went away, and for two years, working on the farm, managing to get off at a good time going up to that little bedroom and studying the scriptures, working my way through the epistles, studying and looking in the gospels, just preparing my soul as a young man for what God might have in mind for me in a coming day. And you know, I want to appeal to you young sisters, and I don't want to sound patronizing in any way, but I want to appeal to you young sisters, you've got to give that young husband of yours that opportunity and that time And that space is to study the word. And Debbie did that. And we will before the Lord in prayer to know what his mind was for us. Now quite a few folk have said to us over the years, why Angola? Why not Botswana? Why not Zambia? Why Angola? Well all I can say is that in those two years, 1988, 89, 1990 even, sorry, from 1990 to 1992, those two years, there was just a few reports coming out from Angola, and it was still in terrible times of war. And we became greatly exercised about the great need of the work of the Lord there. So we started to pray that this was of the Lord. And you know, the exercise comp- just refused to go. It became so ingrained and so deep into our conscience and to our hearts that we ate Angola, we slept Angola, we spoke about Angola and there was no one else who knew apart from this other brother and the Lord and ourselves. We prayed about it. And the book of Nehemiah became very real to us as we heard of the distresses of God's people in Angola and the need to rebuild those foundations that were laid by early pioneer missionaries. And those foundations had been strewn with rubbish for so many years. And there'd been no opportunity to preach the Word of God and to teach the Scriptures. And we had a desire in our hearts, which we believed firmly that this was placed there because I'd never heard of Angola, just like you. I'd never heard of Angola. And and that desire was placed there by God. And in chapter 4... Nehemiah says, the work is great and large and we're separated upon the wall, one far from another. And how true that would be because missionary presence in Angola had dwindled and would still dwindle further. And we are far one from another but what in what place do hear the sound of the trumpet? Our God shall fight for us. And so we became convinced that the Lord would have us to be in Angola. By this time we had two boys. Alex was getting on for two years of age and Luke was not nearly born and one day I was reading through the book of Ezra and I came across this wonderful verse and it brings tears to my eyes whenever I read it whenever I see it in my readings throughout the year it was Ezra's desire to seek of the Lord a right way for us and for our little ones and I knew that as soon as we went public and made it known that we were going to take our little ones into a war-torn country There would be so much criticism. And saints not understanding. But you know, we had these verses which I read to you today, which may seem very abstract and scattered to you. To sensitive souls who've been waiting for months and months on the Lord, to hear his voice through the reading of the scriptures is a most profound experience. And our brother's been speaking about Joseph's thinking of those words which he heard of the Lord when he was 17. I tell you, you need to hear that voice from the Lord. Because in the thick of things, when the trials come, it is that which keeps you going. And the Lord told us to go. And it came to the stage... Don't worry, I'm quite used to goats coming up on the platform. (laughs) It came to the stage in our little experience that to not to go would be disobedience. And so we had to go. We were compelled to go. Now I'm not saying that knowing the Lord's will is easy. It's not easy. But just, it may be very helpful to someone here tonight it seemed to us that the Lord uses five ways to communicate His will to us. Number one, through the reading of Scripture, individually and as a couple. And I do trust you read the Scriptures together with your wife and your family. And God's voice is heard still today through His Word. But then in prayer, in the atmosphere of prayer, in your personal circumstances, that which the Lord is allowing into your lives. And through his servants who are teaching the Word of God publicly, they're addressing the congregation, but they don't know what's happening in your life. But if you've come to that meeting expecting God to speak to you through his servant, he will, and he does, and that's what he did. And then through the wise counsel of the Lord's people who have been through experiences with the Lord and who we had confidence in. And when these five strands come together, In our little experience, and you have peace in your own soul, that you're in the mind of the Lord, you take that step, and I mean it is, just one single step of faith. And you move out in faith, and that would be our experience. And so in 1992, we went to see our elders in the assembly. And they were happy to commend us to the grace of God, and I left employment on the 20th of August, And on the following day, the 21st of August, we had a commendation meeting and we left for Portugal a few weeks later on the 6th of September, 1993. Alex was two and a half years of age. Luke was six months old. I was 27 years of age and Debbie was 24. And we had the conviction firmly in our hearts that God had called us to a country neither of us had visited and we had the support of our local assembly and we needed nothing else. That's all we needed. To be obedient to that call that he had placed, the conviction that he had placed into our hearts, and so we were happy. We'd packed up our little house and we'd sailed away. I remember how much our first ticket cost us to take the car from Plymouth to cross over to Portugal and then drive down through Spain and into Portugal and start learning Portuguese It cost us 364 pounds and there was hardly a penny left in the bank account. But you know, a few days before we bought that ticket, we had a check in the post for that exact amount and we hadn't told a single soul. And now 20 years later, God has never ceased to provide for our every need in his own time. We live in a land of plenty in the West. We have our insurance, we have our pensions, we have our guarantees, but there's no greater guarantee than placing your faith in God. We've got to believe still today, young people, we've got to believe still that God is able, and he is able. As I was preparing these few thoughts, for this closing meeting. I was aware that bank account was getting down a bit and we were going to the straits. goodness, what are we gonna do? But you know, I got an email while I was sitting there at my desk to meet that present need. And that is happening in our experience so frequently the Lord is wonderfully, wonderfully gracious. I remember the summer before we left the UK in 1993, we went to the seaside and I brought Alex an ice cream years of age and I distinctly felt Satan saying to me, that's the last one you'll ever afford to buy him. And how wrong, how wrong he is, he's the father of lies, you put doubts, uncertainty in your soul, have faith in your God. And so we set about learning Portuguese, you know I had failed French at school. I don't mean I failed French, I was ungraded in my exam, it was that bad. And if my French teacher knew that I could speak Portuguese and preached in Portuguese and choque, she'd probably be turning in a grave right now. But uh, again, and we say it so glibly as preachers, but I want to appeal to you young people, it is so true, if God calls you, he will equip you and give you that ability, which you need, and to speak two languages. When you had an education like mine, you know, it's only of the, the grace of God. Well, you know, it was a bit of a culture shock. I was a farmer. Still am a farmer in the heart, really. We were stuck there up on an apartment block, seven floors up, with no not even a garden. And I had two little boys to look after every afternoon when Debbie went to language lessons. You know, after a few months, I could have packed it in. Debbie was learning Portuguese far quicker than I was, and all the man points you can possibly muster were going out the window pretty quick. And we could have packed it, I could have packed it in. But that conviction was in our hearts. God had called us. We've got a work to do, so stick at it. We got through it, and started to speak Portuguese, and then finally moved on to Angola. Uh, We finally arrived in Angola for the first time as a family in August 1995. By that time, Alex was four and a half, and Luke two and a half, and we moved to Saarema to learn Choque. Learning a second language in two years was a bit of a challenge, but it was necessary, so we set about learning that. And most of my preaching now is done in Chokwe. And our living conditions in those first 18 months were appalling by any standards. And when we got home for the first time, the doctors told us our boys were malnourished. And we look at those photographs from those early days and we think, Goodness me, how did we miss that? They look like stick ends insects with enormous great heads. But food was so scarce and things were so bad. You know, when girls of Debbie's age were worried about the colour schemes in the home, she was carrying buckets of water in from the road and she was cooking on little charcoal stoves and coping to bring up her family in Angola. But you know, in those extreme circumstances, she absolutely radiated and blossomed. In circumstances that would have snuffed out the testimony of so many. You know, God doesn't make mistakes when he chooses your lifetime partner. Tremendous to trust in the Lord for that. Later we moved on to Kamundamala and we were able to create a home and put a lot of work in there in the assembly and in the, try and build a house for ourselves and to live in to make situations a little better. And The Lord was wonderful preserving us. We lived through gunfire. The boys had to distinguish pretty quickly the sound of shells that were coming in close and stuff that was going over our heads. Time and time again, we went to bed with our clothes on and our bags packed because the village would flee every night. The, the, the rebels would come or could come at any time, and the whole, val- the whole village would evacuate. And where could we go? We couldn't get to town. The roads were shut off. There was no planes out. And so we just slept on our beds. And I do not remember, you know, ever having a sleepless night. We just laid down and put our boys to bed and entrusted them to the Lord and prayed that he would preserve them and preserve us and we'd wake up the next morning and we'd open the curtains and we'd see all the villagers coming back from the bush, bush, coming back to their homes and we'd praise the Lord for his preservation through another night. Wonderfully preserved in every way from sickness, we had malaria typhoid all the things that are associated with African life But the Lord has preserved us through it all in a wonderful way. So in closing of my few thoughts, which before I want to turn to the Word of God now, I want to just simply say to you, young folk, I don't know you. I've hardly had the chance to speak to many of you at all, if any. Our God is a mighty God. He's not only able to save your soul but please don't just limit him to that. Our God is only confined by our lack of faith in him. And what we need today from amongst God's people is another generation to rise up to say like Paul did, I believe God. And to step out in faith and trust him. As the little hymn says what he's done for others he can do for you. Don't settle for second best. Do not waste your life chasing the dream that makes out that bigger and better is happiness. Seek to know what his will is for your life. Give him the best years of your life. Do you know if I think about learning another language now at 48 years of age I don't think I could do it. Do it when you're young and when you have that opportunity. But you know it all comes down. I do believe it all comes down. To the words of Nehemiah in chapter 4 and verse 6, he says this, So we built the wall, for the people had a mind to work. A mind to work. I want to broaden that challenge to you this evening. Not just simply think about the missionary and his call. but a mind to work for every one of us. In Nehemiah chapter 4, the context is one of discouragement and opposition with the task in hand. They were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. But the wall was built because Nehemiah said, the people, that's the rank and file, had a mind to work. They stand in complete contrast to those in chapter 3 who put not their necks to the work. It's good to know what God is doing in Angola, but I want to turn your attention to where there is a need for workers today. And that is in your own local assembly, just where God has placed you today. A mind to work. That is the very thing that Satan wants to destroy. He wants us to make us feel defeated, discouraged, and passive. He wants us to be self-focused and complacent with our lives. He wants us to mind earthly things. Because he knows that to achieve that, no work will be done for God. And Christians will just roll on, going to the meetings, going through the motions. A mind to work in the secular things of life, many have that, and then leave it all to others to do in the local assembly. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody this evening, and that is you. When we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and let's be sure we will all stand there your life's record will be testimony that you had neglected the very thing that is most precious to God in this world and it is his local assembly. A mind to work is not something that I want to confine to missionary endeavor or zeal but should characterize us all A mind to work. You know, we could say that this wall was completed because the people's hearts were in it. They wholeheartedly gave themselves to the task in hand to rebuild the wall. And despite the opposition and the discouragement, Nehemiah says with a note of triumph, and so we built the wall. And the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. You know, that is something that ought to characterise the local assembly where you are in fellowship. And I tell you it doesn't, if it isn't, something which characterises your local assembly, there will only be decay and disillusionment and discouragement. Nothing more sad than disillusioned believers. A mind to work. And I wonder... As the Lord looks upon his assembly here at Midland Park, could it be the testimony of the saints here locally that they have a mind to work? You say, Brian, look, haven't you seen? We've been so busy in the conference, and John, thank you, you have, and wonderful logistics, the meals have been fine, working on spot on time. Yes. What happens tomorrow? And then next weekend, and the days and the months of this year in assembly activity at Midland Park. Can it be said for you that you have a mind to work? It could be said of the Assembly at Thessalonica. Paul said, "From them sounded out the word of the Lord in every place. a mind to work. Can I just address you elders for a little while? This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good name. That's right, isn't it? A good name. No, a good work. Nothing more encouraging to a young person to see an elder with a mind to work. Paul exhorts the believers to know them, that labor among you, to esteem them very highly in love, for their namesake? No. For their, for their work's sake. And uh, a mind to work. Before starting work, you you need to identify what that work is. Any elders here amongst us this afternoon, this evening, you've not yet identified in your own local assembly your work as a shepherd? I'm trying to speak graciously, brethren. There's a great need for shepherds amongst God's people in the United Kingdom. I'm not sure about here, of course. To lead, guide, feed, warn, exhort, to shepherd, to set an example before God's people. Are you doing the work that the chief shepherd has asked you to do? To be an elder who does the work of an elder. You know, being in assembly fellowship is not a passive experience. Well, it's not meant to be. Listen to what Paul says to the believers at Corinth. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. A mind to work. And so do you have that? Have you had that? If you do have that mindset, a mind to work, you will be a blessing to the Lord's people in that company with whom you meet. You'll be an encouragement to many. When I read of the early disciples, The early believers, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. There was nothing passive about their activity. They had a mind to work. And the testimony is this, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. A mind to work. Are you present when the assembly meets for prayer? As a man with all the privileges and responsibilities that you have to lead the assembly in prayer and worship, do you have a mind for work in worship and prayer? Or are you leaving that to others? Do you have a mind to work and to build upon the foundation that has been laid by previous generations? To add something of eternal value to the local assembly where God has placed you. Can I appeal to you you young men to come, and not just the young men, to come to the assembly gatherings with an exercise and be willing to contribute a mind to work in the local assembly, in the gatherings of the Lord's people. At the end of Mark's Gospel, we read these wonderful words. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. What a thing. Disciples with a mind to work, and the Lord was working with them. Would that be your ambition? To have the Lord working with you? I know he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And why have we seen the truth of those words? And yet in marvellous, amazing grace, the same Lord who's building his church seeks your involvement. And are you active? And do you have that mind to work? Perhaps you've had once... Before you've had a mind to work but there's been recent months and perhaps years have left off and you feel discouraged. Can I encourage you this evening to refocus your efforts not on the fleeting things of life that may have distracted you but what really matters. Things that will last for eternity and think what you can do for Christ in your life. Think of the testimony of some from scripture. Now if Timotheus Paul says, if he comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he works the work of the Lord. Epaphroditus because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. It was his desire for the assembly at at, uh, Colossae that they would walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work. But you know, my time is nearly gone and There's so much more we could say about this. But there's another side of this, you know. Are you allowing those who do have a mind to work, to work? Are you allowing them to work? So often I find that our assemblies back home in the UK, they pray for and finance a work on the mission field that they would never dream of putting in their own assembly. So much hypocrisy amongst us, you know. It's not because what the missionary is doing is wrong, because they would never put their hands in their pocket and support it, let alone pray for it in the prayer meeting. But because it's a fresh approach, a fresh vision. All biblical standards are upheld, principles are maintained but it's not for us and there may be young people in your own assembly who've got a vision for the work of God and who will take the work of God forward and they want to maintain all biblical principles and all biblical standards but they're being hindered but thank God for them they have a mind to work now will you encourage them Then there are those who refuse to pass on to the following generation any responsibility whatsoever. Do you know the, the Great Britain we have in the Olympics uh, a, a relay team, relay team and, and they are absolutely hopeless. They get disqualified. They hand the baton on too late and the whole team is disqualified. And do you know, I don't know here about you in the United States of America but back home I do fear at times. There are those who have the mind to work, but we're not handing the baton on, and it's becoming too late. Preparing to pass that responsibility of gospel testimony, assembly testimony to a younger generation who've got a mind to work, to realize that God has called them, and they have a mind to work. May God give us vision. May God awake us. May God open our eyes to see zeal and enthusiasm that He may have placed in our own local assembly. And may it be used for God's glory. You know, the Lord seeks workers, He has a mind, He's looking for those who have a mind to work. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, He rewards His workers. He shall receive a reward. Hebrews tells us in chapter 6, He does not forget his workers, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labour of love. And I may be speaking to some dear soul in the meeting this evening. For years you've had a mind to work and you feel right now you cannot do any more. The spirit is so willing but the flesh is weak. How wonderfully comforting it is to know that our God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labour of love, which you have showed to his name, and that you have ministered to the saints. So I do trust in closing that we will be not simply challenged this evening, but convicted There is a great need today in assembly testimony for those who have a mind to work. How good it would be of the assembly, could be said of the assembly at Midland Park when we reach the judgment seat of Christ, that the believers here have a mind to work. May the Lord encourage us, stir us up, give us that vision, give us that zeal to serve him. For his namesake.